Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We're on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, and we are extremely grateful to all of our listeners to continue to tune in and to uh, make this ministry useful as we hope that it is edifying to you and that it's profitable for all everyone who will listen. And uh, in the past, we have done many Christian biographies, hopefully to encourage everyone who will uh, contemplate these works of the Lord. And in today's conversation, we're going to have a similar conversation with Dr. Ian Shaw on Leslie Land. But before we uh, jump into the biography part of this conversation. Dr. Shaw, welcome to our show. Thank you. Yeah, it is our great privilege to have you on for the first time. And uh, it's normally our practice that if we've never had someone on our show, we ask them to just begin by introducing themselves. So since you fit that description, Dr. Shaw, since you've never been on our show before, uh, would you simply begin our conversation by introducing yourself to our audience? Thank you very much. Well, it, it is a great privilege to uh, join with you um, today. Uh, I live um, just north of the old city of York in the north of England. That's where I am today. And we're in fellowship with a good church in York, and uh, we're helping to um, plant a church in a small town near to where we live. Uh, I'm a retired social scientist and so most of my work has been teaching and doing research and writing in the university world all through my career and I've had the privilege of spending time in universities in a number of countries um, in England and Wales, in Hong Kong, Denmark, uh, Norway, um, Singapore, short time in Italy as well. But uh, I now try to write more directly for Christians. And since uh, finishing the book that we're talking about today, I've turned to um, seeking to understand the history of uh, Christian, evangelical Christian engagement with and response to slavery and those kinds of issues. Well, Dr. Shaw, it is a delight to have you on the Covenant Podcast today. And as we begin to transition into the bulk of our discussion, we're going to be talking about Leslie Land's life and ministry. That's going to be the bulk of our conversation uh, with you. And you have hap you've happened to uh, write a book about Leslie Land. So we would consider you a subject matter expert on uh, Leslie Land's life and ministry. So maybe as we transition our conversation into his life and ministry would you be willing to give our listeners an overview of the book that you've written uh, about those subjects, maybe what the book is about? We, we'd love to hear an overview about uh, what the book is about and what you hope to accomplish with the book. And maybe even some of the background details about what inspired you to write the book would be useful to our listeners. Yes, I'd be um, very happy to do that. I'll, um, I'll show a copy of the cover of the book um, that's uh, an old street in the 1950s in the city of Leicester. Well, on the question about how I came to write it, I think there are probably direct and then more distant um, inspirations. It, it must be as long ago as the early, perhaps the mid-1950s, when as a little boy, 
I first heard um, Leslie Land uh, um, in Leicester in his church called Melbourne Hall in Leicester. And I was 16 when, at the time, he left the church um, in Leicester in the English Midlands. And uh, very shortly after he left, a small group of us uh, went to visit him one Saturday morning, uninvited, I might say. Um, I'd never been in his house before. And it must have been the first time that a pastor had talked to me as one Christian to another, rather than as a pastor speaking to a rather young character who turned up unannounced. I never forgot that. And then when he died in 1985, after a long illness, um, I wrote a couple of obituaries about him in Christian newspapers, and the seeds were then sown. Um, people started writing to me and sending me materials and so on. And over the last decade, I have... Uh, transcribed and published a series of his studies on the second advent of Christ in a little book called The Appearing of Jesus. Um, and I have written a series of articles about him. Um, but it was the awareness that I had probably the most complete deposit of information about Leslie Dan that eventually um, prompted me to think of making a fuller um, record. Perhaps the single most valuable source was the um, magazines um, that the, his church, Melbourne Hall, used to bring out each month. Now, when I say magazine, um, these were about 16 pages of close typescript, and each month there would be a three or four page um, uh, extended um, synopsis or summary of a sermon by um, Leslie Land. I'll show you what the cover of the magazine used to look like. I hope you can see that. So that's how the magazine used to look when it came out um, each month. It, it wasn't uh, easy to find a publisher and I owe a special debt to Professor Michael Haken, who I'm sure many of you listening to this will know. And uh, I think this is partly because um, I'm not a historian, but uh, I think we have yet to see an adequate account of the remarkable growth of a reformed understanding of the Christian faith that took place from the middle of the last century and which continues to spread in other parts of the world at present. Uh, because I suspect that I'll perhaps come back to this. I think there's a kind of sometimes Christian romanticism about the more distant past. Um, the, the book itself is in two halves. The um, first half um, is an account of his life and his ministry um, and, uh, and of his friendship um, with um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, which I may come back to. The, the second half of the book um, has about 16 of these extended um, uh, account summaries. It, can't really call them summaries, they're too long for that. Um, but uh, the the um, text of that he chose to put in the magazine for his, um, his, um, his sermons. And that's how the book is made up. Thank you for beginning to introduce our subject as we uh, are going to be talking about Leslie Land. Uh, I suspect that some of our listeners, especially our American audience, may have never heard of Leslie Land. 
So we are thankful that you have taken the time to write a book on this uh, person of God. And we ask now that uh, for the next part of our conversation, uh, you would provide us with a biographical sketch of Leslie Land. You said that part of your book includes some of that information. And in our last answer, you uh, began to talk about how you compiled some of this information uh, yourself. Uh, so would you give us a biographical sketch now of, of Leslie Land? Yes. Um, actually, it, this is not as easy as it sounds to do that in an adequate way. Uh, the facts, as much as we know them, are fairly readily told. And uh, I, tell, I do tell that story in the opening pages of the, of the book. But um, tracing his life is ra rather like um, a jigsaw puzzle with many missing pieces. Here are one or two um, facts about him. He was brought up in a county called Derbyshire. Um, if you would look at it, you'd probably think it's um, pronounced Derbyshire, but Derbyshire, um, and it's an English county, uh, almost next door to Leicestershire, uh, where I was brought up. And uh, uh, um, it, uh, he went to Christ College, Cambridge, for his, um, for his first degree. And this is what it says about him in the admissions book for Christ College, Cambridge. I'll, I'll read it. William Leslie Land, born the 20th of January, 1903, at Worksworth. That's a town in Derbyshire. Son of Samuel Land, retired draper and outfitter. Kind of in the tailoring business, you might say. Educated at the grammar school, Worksworth, admitted to Christ College, Cambridge, 1st of March, 1921. Well, that's bare bones that, of that. I, I do have a little bit more information that um, I talk a bit about in the book, which I gained by looking at old census records, uh, the 10 yearly census. Um, and he became a, initially a science teacher. That was his discipline at university. Uh, he became a science teacher at a private college on the south coast of England and quickly uh, rose to be headmaster of that school when he was still in his 30s. And in the late 1930s, he began a long correspondence with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, who had at that time just uh, taken up his ministry at Westminster Chapel in London. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones also uh, came to his school, spoke at the annual school meeting for him. Um, and, uh, but then Leslie Land left the college just after the Second World War. And uh, he, he um, spent a year back um, at university in Oxford, uh, at a college in Oxford, um, gaining some kind of theological education, not of an evangelical or reformed character, and that is for certain, as he made clear in some of the things he was to say. Um, and uh, after a brief spell at a church um, on the south of England, he was called to Melbourne Hall, Leicester, in 1947. He stayed there for 14 years until the end of 1961. Um, by which time, I suspect, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he had already was seeing the early signs of a serious degenerative illness. 
Um, and he, he never went to any other church. I don't think he worked much. And uh, he eventually died in 1985. His wife, Catherine, um, survived him for a few years, as did their son, who was Peter, was their son. But Peter himself had lifelong learning and social disabilities. So in many ways, not, not easy. So that's the basic facts. It, it says a little, but, but not a great deal. Thank you for that helpful biographical sketch of Leslie Land, Dr. Shaw. Certainly has whetted my appetite to dive more into this figure's life and ministry. Uh, hopefully I have opportunity to do that in my own studies. But I want to come back to something you mentioned a few moments ago. You referenced Land's friendship with Martin Lloyd-Jones. You've done that a few times now in our conversation. And I wonder if you could now spend a few minutes engaging with some of the details about that friendship between Land and Lloyd-Jones, I think several of our listeners would be fascinated to hear about how Land was connected to the doctor. Uh, we've done an episode on Lloyd-Jones in the past, so I think this would be uh, a pretty uh, unique and interesting point of discussion uh, in this biographical overview of Leslie Land's life and ministry. So would you be willing to shed some insight into that relationship for our listeners? Very happy to. Um, indeed, it was absolutely central to all that um, followed uh, after he started that correspondence. Uh, they, they used to um, meet um, from time to time. This was, uh, for much of this correspondence was while the Second World War was happening. And uh, you, you'll know that um, for parts of that period, London was um, heavily bombed. Um, Martin Lloyd Joy Jones's chapel, Westminster Chapel, was also bombed during that period. Um, I, I stumbled across their friendship by accident. Um, I, I had um, bought the um, volume of Lloyd Jones's letters, correspondence that the Banner of Truth Trust had published. And in that volume, I found that there were two, possibly three, I haven't checked, but certainly two um, letters to Leslie Land. So I um, emailed Ian Murray, the editor of the book, and I asked Ian if there were more letters. He told me, yes, there were. There was a bundle of them that he had been given by a lady um, who had herself at one time been at, Mel at Melbourne Hall in Leicester. He loaned those to me. Um, the letters in the reverse direction, um, Leslie Land to Lloyd-Jones, sadly didn't survive. They would have been fascinating, though you can infer something um, from Lloyd-Jones's replies because often he is responding. You get the sense that um, although their friendship was a close one, they, they used to meet up in um, coffee houses in London and so on. Uh, um, they, they would um, have that time meeting up and sometimes um, Leslie Land and his wife would go and stay with the Lloyd-Joneses, with uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones and Bethan um, Lloyd-Jones. Uh, I should say, uh, um, just comes to mind to say that um, I enjoy a friendship with uh, Lloyd-Jones's grandson, Jonathan Catherwood, uh, and I've, um, Jonathan has told me one or two anecdotes about his childhood memories of his grandfather coming to, to stay. Um, and uh, so, um, and, and you can, um, in these letters, you can 
read the growing friendship in the tone of uh, the doctor's often, well, I was going to say often barely legible handwriting, always barely legible handwriting. Um, and uh, uh, some parts of it I, I, I could never read. I, I asked Ian Murray what he thought they were. He said he didn't know um, either um, what was in there. Um, and uh, But you can tell gradually they're quite formal letters, but uh, Lloyd-Jones begins to relax a little in how he addresses Leslie Lane. He never calls him Leslie, he never gets that informal, but uh, um, but he the most informal he gets is to call him my dear land. Um, so that's that's uh, the level of it. Um, and uh, it's clear from that that Leslie Land had this growing conviction that God was calling him to the ministry. And uh, the letters trace that. And then when he finally went to Melbourne Hall in 1947, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones spoke at the induction. Um, I think, I suspect the people at Melbourne Hall didn't have a clue who Martin Lloyd-Jones was because in the first report of the induction, um, Melbourne Hall, whoever wrote it, says that Mr. Jones spoke at the induction. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, well, I should say Melbourne Hall uh, in Leicester um, continues to this day to exercise a faithful minister. There's a man called Peter McKenzie who's a minister there now. Um, it, right there in the heart of Leicester, the most ethnically diverse city um, in the UK. So that's really very encouraging. But that's that's about the friendship. And as I said earlier, he would um, often um, in the summer when... And the doctor was um, on holiday in August. He, he would get Leslie Dan down to preach for him for quite a number of years. That's helpful to uh, learn about the relationship between Leslie Land and Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, if our listeners want to learn uh, more about this friendship, of course, we would encourage them to pick up your book, which will is already out or will soon be published by... Hesed and Amit, uh, H&E Publishing. So we'll link to that in the show notes. We want you to have access to that if you are interested. Um, but Dr. Shaw, you have um, begun to talk about some of the challenges that Leslie Land faced in his life, including some of the physical afflictions that he endured and his family endured. Um, our question to you was, what challenges did Land face throughout his life? So you, you you can you can flesh that out more now if you want to, and more specifically, what lessons can we draw from the way that Land faced these challenges that he endured? Mm. Yeah, thank you for asking me um, that question. There certainly were challenges, challenges of a, as you just said, of a personal and family nature and those that um, for want of a better word we can perhaps call um, ecclesiastical <clears throat> um, even at this distance in time I'm aware that uh, not knowing exactly who might see this video and I, I want to be careful in how I express this but um, even at this distance I think that there is um, perhaps some evidence that the elders at Melbourne Hall at the time, 1947, um, over 70 years ago, 76 years ago, um, thought that they were bestowing something of an honour on Leslie Land to call him to the ministry. 
um, and uh, that they seemed somewhat rebuffed when he said to them he would go away and pray as to whether he should accept the call. Um, I, I, that was a, I got that anecdote from somebody who knew Leslie Dan personally um, and uh, was quite close to him. And uh, I think as well, uh, there is evidence which I can draw on more directly from my own early memories. When he left, I'd become a Christian only within the last 12 months. Um, and uh, But I, I think that it is fair to say that there were at least one or two um, in the leadership of the church at Melbourne Hall who never quite accepted him, never quite accepted his ministry, I should say, I mean by that. And that he, he may well have encountered uh, indifference or even a modest um, hostility to some. Um, I remember um, I was in a young people's organization in the church and, and the man who ran that organization was one of the elders. And I have a clear memory of something that that man said to me about Leslie Land, which very clearly indicated at the very least a, a significant lack of respect um, for Leslie Land. And in um, his final letter to the church, which was printed in the magazine, um, he felt he should say this, and I, I quote, I have not shrunk from passing on to you the whole counsel of God. I have sought to emphasize none other loyalty than Christ and his word. It would be foolish to imagine that everyone in so large a fellowship is with me in the strong evangelical position I have sought to maintain. There's another incident as well. Well, not an incident, something else he said in a different context, which also suggests this. Uh, Melbourne Hall was, uh, um, although not formally um, part of the Baptist denomination, the Baptist Union in the UK, um, nonetheless, at that time, aligned itself very strongly and saw itself as part of the Baptist Union. The Baptist Union at that time was, I, it's no exaggeration to say, it was riddled with theological liberalism and a significant number of faithful men were to secede from that denomination um, in the three, four, five, six years after Leslie Land left Melbourne Hall. Um, and uh, so um, th th there's that sense there, because on one occasion he, he, he speaks and he says of himself, well, uh, he says, I I'm happy to call myself a Baptist in that I believe in um, the baptism of, uh, upon profession of faith. But he says this, um, it is far more important for him, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the quote in front of me, it's far more important for him that he should have fellowship with like-minded evangelical Christians. And if it was a Baptist church that didn't minister in, in, um, and hold to that, he'd have nothing to do with it. So you can see the position um, that he put himself up. So, And then um, 
I, perhaps I can say one other thing about um, the difficulties he, he faced. Uh, I've referred already to the challenges that he and Catherine and his wife um, met in their family life, uh, particularly with Peter, their son. But I think it's fair to say that in terms of temperament, Leslie Land was what we might call a glass half empty man. And twice during his ministry, his 14 year ministry, he took absences from the pulpit for several months. I should say, um, in, the, in the context of this, uh, this was a period when Leslie Land um, did virtually all of the ministry in the church. And it was a very big church, very big church. Um, I, I would think at that time there was probably a membership of six or 700, which by British standards is a big church. Um, and uh, so twice he, he had time out. In fact, in that same volume of letters by Lloyd-Jones I referred to, one of the letters to Leslie Land is a very helpful one that he wrote to him um, um, during on one such occasion. Uh, I quote that in the book and it's in full in Ian Murray's edited volume. It, it, it's a very helpful letter to read for, for anyone who's, who's facing stress and, and, and depression and so on in, in the ministry. Um, so uh, they're the difficulties that, and, and challenges that, that he, he faced, um, yes. We've been talking with Dr. Ian Shaw about the life and ministry of Leslie Land. Dr. Shaw, you have shared so many helpful insights about both of those subjects, the life of Leslie Land, the ministry of Leslie Land, um, and I hope that many of our listeners have been encouraged by uh, this conversation. And as we seek to wrap up all that we've been talking about together today, what final words would you like to share with our listeners about Leslie Land or about your book or anything relevant to what we've discussed today? Yes, yes. Happy to do so. Um, it, 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 several things have happened really since the, the book was complete, although um, the book was published in July, uh, so kind of hot off the press. Uh, but um, since the book, the, the, the manuscript was completed, there's been um, one or two um, significant developments. The, the first one is that I have come into possession of a significant number of the old reel-to-reel -reel audio tapes of his ministry. I tell the story of how his ministry came to be recorded. I tell that story in the book. It was in the 1950s. A man was in the congregation. And um, this man was so moved by the ministry, he thought it should be recorded. So he took along to the church what in the mid-1950s counted as a portable tape recorder. We can imagine how big it would have been. Um, and started recording him. Um, and... Uh, I have already um, had the majority of those tapes um, digitized. And uh, the man who digitized um, them for me, a man in the city of Bristol, um, told me that the quality of the tapes from the 1950s um, has been maintained far better um, than audio tapes from the 70s or 80s or so on. Um, and it is true the, the the sound quality of the digital tapes that have uh, that I've listened to digital recordings is excellent. You, you can you can hear Leslie Land without a slightest uh, difficulty, and uh, 
so on. So, um, and uh, they they were eventually found um, it, somewhere in a room in in Melbourne Hall, and I've, a number of others as well have, have come to me as well. So, um, and the the good news is that um, the main university in Leicester um, has agreed to accept the digitized sound files of his ministry into a permanent archive. In fact, uh, I've, I was down in Leicester on Monday of this week, um, um, handing over um, the tapes, and there are some cassette recordings as well. There are, there are some still for them to digitise, and they they will be then um, made uh, um, available in a oral history archive. And there's one or two more of the of unpublished um, sermons of Leslie Land. Was only able to get a small number in, which are going to um, continue to come out in the Reformed Baptist magazine Reformation today. Um, I, I said a moment ago that I think sometimes there's a, a hint of romanticism when we read of people like Charles Spurgeon or George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and so on. Um, now, Leslie Land was not an ordinary person in the sense that perhaps you or I may think we may be. But I want to read something. It wasn't uh, referring to Leslie Land at all, but I get regular postings from um, the Evangelical Movement of Wales. I don't know whether you'd be familiar with that, a, a, a fellowship of Reformed churches in Wales, which uh, again was uh, um, greatly helped and shaped by Martin Lloyd-Jones's ministry. and used to go and preach at their summer conference um, every year without fail. And uh, this was a posting I had about a year ago. I'll, I'll read it. Um, to win God's praise, one does not need to be wonderful or striking. It is given to those who may do no miracle. That's a quotation from John chapter 10, verse 41. To those who trust him when everything is dark, to those who keep their faces toward the morning, to those who through headache and through heartache, quietly and doggedly do their appointed bit, to those who help a brother or sister by the way, to those who look for a city which has foundations. Well, Leslie Land had exactly that kind of faith. Um, I, I was asked recently if um, I had a favorite quotation from Leslie Land. I, I said, no, I don't think I have one favorite quote, but one can hear, uh, I think, a recurring hallmark throughout his ministry when he says this, and I'll close with this. I know that it is not easy or pleasant to have to say these things, and it does not make for popularity, but faithfulness, not popularity, will count in the day of Christ. Thank you. Dr. Shaw, it's been a joy having you on the Covenant podcast today. This was a very uplifting and insightful episode. And I will just thank you for all of your scholarship that you've devoted to Leslie Land. And we wish you nothing but the absolute best as you continue to press on in service to Christ Church. Thank you. Can I just say, if um, anyone were to approach you, had heard this and said uh, they wanted to ask me a question arising out of this, I'm quite happy for you to pass on to whoever it may be my email address and for them to get in touch with me. I'd be very happy to try to respond.
Thank you so much. I'm sure that would be greatly appreciated by those who'd be interested in contacting you. And uh, to our listeners, we, of course, want to thank you as well for your continued support of the Covenant Podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's episode. And until next time, we wish you grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless.